Good to see everybody here again tonight. I just want to thank you for being here. Welcome you to uh, Heartland Baptist Fellowship's uh, 11th Annual Bible Conference. Uh, we're assembling the Word of God every year during these conferences, and this is it's a it's a joy. Uh, sometimes a little frustrating, sometimes uh, tiring, but always uh, spiritually fulfilling, uh, because we know what the purpose is of the Word of God, which is to to change the hearts and the lives of people that that get to meet your God. Amen. And so we're 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 making progress. We're doing good we're good things here. We've got some we've got a lot of people here, and I'm just thankful to see everybody. I think. Um, I know we have several uh, visiting churches. I know we have Bethel Baptist Church. We have Har- Harvest Baptist Church. We've got, uh, gosh, I can't even keep them all straight, and I'm not going to try. But how many, how many, uh, how do I want to do that? I'm going to let Brian do it. <laughs> okay, so I told everybody when we, at, uh, at the service this morning, you know, what we need to do, give you some instructions, and we had some goals that we were going to try to hit, hit so we could get 25,000 New Testaments done by the end of the night, Wednesday night. Um, and so we have a couple of boxes up here, which is not the goal. The goal was a lot more boxes than that, but that's okay. You know, we've done this 11 years, and we've never failed to get the word, the work out. The work always goes out because it's God's word, and he never lets his word fall to the ground. He never lets his word return void. None of those kind of things happen. He sends his word because he wants to, and he will do that again this time. But let me just give you a couple of numbers. So we only have, we have I think, four boxes all together uh, box. But we have uh, 1,750 uh, New Testaments ready to go through uh, the the um, the binder. So so all the material that's been moved from this side of the building to this side of the building. That's that's 1,750 of them. We have on the table back here. If you look over to your right or left, whatever back behind you, uh, over there by the machine, we have uh, 1,296 that are ready to go to the trimmer. Uh, but that's where I need your prayer. Uh, we all need to pray. The, every year, the, the trimmer, it's, a, it's an awesome machine when it's working. And it's a frustrating machine when it's not working. Uh, but we have a good crew of men that know what they're doing. And uh, uh, my faith is in God, and their faith is in God. And God is going to give us the, the wisdom that we need to get this machine working again. And before you know it, it'll be working. And we will go through those, those New Testaments in nothing flat. Uh, so there's... Uh, uh, so that's the numbers that we're looking for, but we are still looking to try to get, we got to get 25,000 done. Uh, we had a good number of people right after service, after everybody got a, got a good lunch, and then we had a good, good. Uh, we had more people than we knew what to do with there for a while. People were running into each other. It was awesome. And uh, we got a lot of, lot of stuff uh, collated. We got a lot of stuff rolled and checked. And, uh, and so, but we still need a lot of work to, to do that because even though that's, that, that machine won't be bottlenecked long. Once it's running, it will, it will cut a lot of Bibles or a lot of New Testaments very quickly. And uh, uh, so, so we're not worried about that, but we still have a lot of material handling that needs to be done and a lot of praying. And uh, so that'll take care of the, the whole conference. So thanks for being here. I'm going to turn this over to a special, a senior special.
told I'm not on. Am I on now? All right. I'm often told I'm not on. All right. So, uh, so this morning, or this morning, this evening, uh, I got some house uh, cleaning type of things I want to do before we get into the Word of God, and uh, I want to just thank uh, everybody. See, this is a big partnership that we're involved in here, uh, and it can't be done by any one person. It can't be done by any one church. This is a big work that we're undertaking, and I appreciate the involvement and the investment of all the local churches that are gathered here. Uh, the Bible publishing team is a, an eclectic group of, of uh, you know, churches. We're like-minded in doctrine and, and what have you, and they all come together from all over the metro, and several other churches and pastors are here tonight even and are representing several uh, churches uh, from around the metro. So I want to just take a minute. If you're a pastor, just stand where you are right now, and I just want to thank you for being here. Just stand to your feet because uh, I can't remember who everybody is. So uh, there's more than that. Okay, Richard Card, thank you for coming. Who do we got? Yeah, Terry. No, no, stay, stay standing for just a second, just a second. Yeah, so uh, thank you guys. Yeah. So for those that don't know, Richard Card, Pastor Bethel Baptist in uh, Warrensburg, Missouri. And, uh, man, good friend of ours. We do a lot of stuff together, and it's just awesome uh, having Rich and Steph here and the whole clan from uh, Bethel. Thank you for coming and, and pitching in. Then I see, I see uh, James and Rosie. And, man, you guys have your kids. And Todd and Anna, you guys have your kids. And these are the best kids in the world. And uh, we don't have a big children's church, uh, you know, the rest of the week. So really appreciate you parents working with your kids. And uh, Terry, Terry is uh, serving. You've changed the name from... Lighthouse to, what is it? Safe Harbor Fellowship Baptist Church. All right. SF, I don't even need to worry about Okay. <laughs> FBIC. And uh, so, uh, so t- Terry is, uh, man, he's, a, he's nothing but a, a, uh, just a, a force when it comes to Bible publishing. Been doing it for years and going back to the, our days at KCBT and then uh, Graceway. And, and so, uh, man, Terry, thanks for all that you've done over the years and are doing now to help this. So I'm counting on you to get that thing working. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, no, we're looking, we, really, though, uh, what a great group of guys. And uh, I appreciate all the pastors and the churches that are represented here. There's a lot of people, and, of course, throughout the day, a lot of churches have been represented, uh, you know, in the metro. If I start naming them all, I'm going to miss some. So I'm not going to do that. But we really are thankful for the partnership in publishing God's Word. And so um, I got I got to do a quiz right now uh, before I get into the word. How, how let me ask you? Uh, this morning there was a really interesting little piece of information, and uh, the first person that can stand up and tell me this number uh, is going to get a free tea. All right. Now that may not mean anything to you, so nobody. So somebody just stand up and give me mercy. All right. So this morning, uh, so this morning, Randy said this is the blank year of our conference. What is it? You stood up. All right, you're the man. So, <laughs> so there you go. Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now that's our that's our tea. So you got some merch uh, out here, and uh, you can you can get your conference T-shirts uh, right here at HBF. All proceeds go to conference T-shirts at HBF. So uh, we just wanna, <laughs> I'm spitting now. We just want to <laughs> we just want to break even. That's all we want to do is break even. I am. A, I did. I've got stories about spitting, but I won't get into it. Well, I guess I, it's too late now. So, well, I won't do it. All right. Let's just focus on things above, please. All right. So tonight, 
really, this is a work. I'm glad we can have, you know, that was good food. I know it's, it's now it's time for nap time. It's been a long day. So I want to keep you guys awake. But I, I really got some serious business to do tonight in, in regard to just really setting forth some things regarding um, what I'm calling a, the mission of transmission. And I want to talk about a faith-based view of Bible translation. And, um, and so there's three things that I think are necessary for us to involve ourselves in the mission of transmission tonight. And, uh, and so I want to just take a few moments and talk about, you know, the people that need to be prepared and participate in the mission of, of transmitting the words of life into another language, another culture, another people. And we're so fortunate that God has chosen us, and we're all partners in this, to really see God's mission accomplished through the transmission of God's word. Now, transmission is not a, a Bible word. So when you think of the word transmission, you know, you're thinking about powertrain. But, you know, that's really a good analogy. Because God's word is powerful, and uh, that is what God uses to transmit his power through the spirit of God and the word of God and the local church of God. God does miraculous things, and the power of God is manifest. So I gave you a definition. It's just a secular definition. The act, transmission is the act of sending uh, from one place or person to another as the transmission of letters, writings, papers, news, and the like uh, from one country to another or the transmission of rights or titles or privileges from a father to a son and from one generation to another. Interestingly enough, that, that definition of transmission, uh, not an inspired or uh, biblical one necessarily, though, but it doesn't encompass a lot of what we're doing. From the physical aspects of a, po- a Bible publishing com- uh, uh, conference to the spiritual aspects of what we're trying to do in regard to making disciples and accomplishing God's mission all over the world, to the relationship that we have with God in heaven, our Father, and the reality that we are born again and we are his children, we are his sons, according to 1 John chapter 3. All of that is going on when we talk about communicating God's word, whether it's verbally, written, uh, those things are happening. There's a mission, and, and, and uh, I want to talk to you tonight about this mission of transmission. God has always involved man in the propagation uh, and the transmission of his word. The mission of transmission is something very that every saint should should be involved in. And, you know, even this morning, uh, Pastor Mark talked about it, right? If your footprints can't be on the ground in Malawi, right, our fingerprints ought to be on the Word uh, here in the Chichewa Bibles. And, man, praise God, what an exciting thing it has been to see everybody getting their fingerprints uh, on the Word of God. Now, you have washed your hands thoroughly, so that's a metaphor, Okay. <laughs> Please don't literally put your fingerprints in the Word of God. You've done something wrong if that's happening. If you have your Bible stand, I want to read a familiar passage. Uh, It's appropriate for a Bible conference, Psalm 68. Psalm 68. Psalm 68. We're going to look at Psalm 68 and verse 11. Very simple verse, and we're going to pray, and we're going to talk further about the mission of transmission. Psalm 68, verse 11. wait for the rustling of the pages to cease. Psalm 68, verse 11. The Bible says, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word, and we're thankful for the company of people that are publishing it. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be great people, not because of any goodness of our own, but because of your goodness, because of your greatness in us, because of who you are, 
Lord, thank you for using us, sinners saved by grace through faith, people who without you uh, are altogether just most miserable. But because of you, Lord, you're well able to use us to accomplish your mission and your power for your glory. And Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the fact that you, Lord, have given us the word. And Lord, we're thankful for the great company that is publishing it. We pray now a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So transmitting the word of God to the, the world, that's a big task. That's a, jo- that's a God-sized task. And that's a job that incorporates the entire body of Christ. Preachers, translators, audible, written words, missionaries, pastors, uh, churches, ultimately have to be involved in that. And ultimately what we want to do is get the word of God in the soft soil of the heart to receive uh, really what, the, what God has in regard to his blessings that are going to come forth when the word of God settles in a heart that's ready to receive it. And so this, this uh, evening I want to just focus on three things that are necessary. First it's going to be the precepts and I'm going to talk about the patterns. And the most important thing is at last, of course, that'll be the people. So as we talk about necessary precepts, necessary precepts, it's important that we understand just some precepts. You've got to have a foundation. So I want to lay a little bit of foundation, some ground rules, so we all kind of understand what we're all talking about. And the first thing that's necessary to really be successful in this mission of transmission is, is to understand that God's words are settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's settled in heaven. There's no dispute. Now, Jesus, we know from Philippians chapter 2, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The word is settled in heaven for now, uh, but he will be coming back soon. Psalms 119 and verse 152 says, Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. His testimonies are eternal. There's no question about it. So we just know that. That's a precept that we know God's words. God's word is settled in heaven. Another precept, and I'm going to run through these fairly quickly, is that God's words need to be settled in men's hearts. And that's the tension that we live in here. We, we live in, as we understand, God's word is fixed. We absolutely trust it. We believe it. But it's not settled in people's hearts. How many of us can remember when the word of God wasn't settled in our heart? I can still remember that. Remember the, that time, that, that angst, that anxiety, that, that lack of assurance that comes when you don't have a sure word? When you don't have God's word, you don't know what God says about your salvation. You don't know if you're secure. You don't know God. You don't know anything about him. And you can't know him without knowing his word. You're born again by the word of God. And so, man, praise God. We understand there's this incredible need to get the word of God into men's hearts. So the destination of God's word is the ready soil of man's heart. Right now in Malawi and, and other places all over the world, including... Harrisonville and Cass County and Jackson County and the Metro and the Midwest and the United States, all over the world, right? We understand that God wants to deposit His Word in the fertile soil of the heart. Jesus said in Luke eight fifteen, but on the good ground, after they which which an honest and I'm sorry, they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. We just sang about Jesus' patience, didn't we? As he went to the cross, he had a good heart. Right? He's the perfect heart. The Father has a good heart. He loved the world. He gave his Son. The Son loved the Father. The real issue isn't God's love for the world or Jesus' love for the Father. The real issue is what kind of love do we have in our heart? 
Will we receive the love of the truth? We know that there's a time coming, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, shortly, when there are a lot of people who will not receive the, not just the truth, the love of the truth. They won't receive the love of the truth. Man, we need to be lovers. We need to love God and we need to love people. The great commandment never goes out of style. And until Jesus comes for us, that's what we're about. We know Romans 10.10. 10. For it is with the heart a man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation by grace through faith occurs when the word of God not only changes the mind. It's not just an intellectual thing. But actually the word of God changes the heart when we believe upon what the word of God says. Our volition impacts the heart's interaction with God's word. Right? We've we got to be willing to operate in this, in this mode. And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, the admonition there is, let us draw near with a, a false heart, a half heart, and a disobedient heart. No, no. Let us, let us, let us draw near with a, a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with, with pure water. Now, of course, hearkening back to the Old Testament Levitical system. We don't literally wash in that sense in the Old Testament. We wash ourselves in the water of God's word. That's what the church does. Ephesians 5, right? We're washed in the water of God's word. So our volition impacts the, the heart interaction with God's word. We, we got to be into this thing. A man's heart may be hardened as a millstone. It's possible that we can harden our heart. It's possible that, that we really don't have a heart for this. It's possible that a church, that a, that a group of churches could get to the place they don't really have a heart for what God wants to have done. And we really don't care about people, and we really don't care about publishing God's Word. That can happen. We can get a hard heart. Pray to God that does not happen, and that will not happen in our hearts. In, in Ezekiel chapter 36... God is so gracious. You know the story. Israel, it's, it's history. It's not just a story. It's his story. It's the reality of his relationship with his, his wife, uh, in Old Testament sense. And we know they had a hard heart. But God says, you know, I'm gracious in Ezekiel. It says, a new heart also will I give unto you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. You know, we think about in our flesh. Paul says, in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know what, though? What do you put in your garden? You put fertilizer in there. It ain't good for much. It don't even smell good. But when it's mixed with the right soil and you drop the seed in there, man, it takes off. And sometimes, you know, as we learned this morning, some things are allowed and some things uh, are, are uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the other A word, appointed. Some things are appointed and some things are allowed. And God can take all things, right? Even the bad things, even the stinky things. And when we give it over to God, man, and allow God to mix it with his word, he can, ta- he can take things that were dead and bring them to life. He can take, he can take the, the fertilizer, as I like to say, of our past and turn it into the fertilizer of the future, right? He can take, he can take a lot of things uh, from the past, or the dung of our past, I should say, and use it as the fertilizer of the future. And, and so, man, would we have a soft heart before God would have to break our heart he said in Ezekiel, a new heart will I give unto you. You know, he had, to, he had to be pretty tough on Ezekiel. Or not on Ezekiel, but on Israel. He had to be tough on them so that they could have a, a tender heart, a new heart. The next thing we know as a precept here that's so important is that God inspires his word. Now, this is, this is we all talk about inspiration. I'm not going to say anything that most people 
uh, would not agree with about the Word of God. Everyone says that God, God's Word is inspired. Everyone knows that if they have any biblical sense at all. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Right? That the man of God may be uh, perfect, truly furnished into all good works. 2 Peter 1.21 speaks of the fact that the, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now that's important as I just step on this precept, as we go through this this point, inspiration has to do with the inspiriting, with the speaking of the Word of God. The Word of God is inspired. It's, 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 it's got the Spirit of God uh, moving it. God spoke the worlds into existence. God speaks and things happen. God's Spirit, inspirited, inspired by the, ho- the holy men. God's Holy Spirit working through them was working, and, and God worked through the apostles. He worked through the prophets to lay the foundation for the church, and then, of course, God has preserved his word. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but before I get to that, God also propagates his word. I'm not going to take any a lot of time on this. I think everyone probably here at this conference, especially on the Sunday night session, understands the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, that we are to go, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. Amen. That means he's with us now, right now. He wants the word to go forth. He's inspired his word. He, he wants us to propagate his word. And now, and I put Acts 2 on there, of course, is he told he did that he already got that going he had them speaking in other languages and i'll touch on this in just a minute so that everybody could get a hold of the message the day the church was born he was working on getting the word to the world and he wanted them to hear it in their heart language i suspect most most of those dudes in acts 2 in jerusalem gathered could speak hebrew right they could have probably understood hebrew which was certainly the language of the Bible. And yet, they, every man heard in his own tongue, his own heart language. God preserves his word. Psalms chapter 12, a verse that we'll touch on again in a moment. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Your commentators will tell you, well, that's not really talking about the Word of God. That's talking about the people of God. The problem with that is it grammatically doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He is talking about the word, of the words of the Lord. Not just the Word, the words specifically of the Lord are pure words. God preserves His Word. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul said to, to Timothy, And from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You've had the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now there's a problem here because Timothy didn't have an original copy of the Hebrew text or the law of Moses from Sinai. Right? He had a, he had a copy. He didn't have Jeremiah's original. Nobody has it. I mean, he didn't, unless he scuba dived at the bottom of the Euphrates and dug it up. Right? He didn't have that. But Paul says, you know, from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So what he had is what had been delivered to the synagogue. 
when he went with his mom and grandma, he heard the word of God and he received the word of God. And of course, when Paul came one day preaching the New Testament gospel, man, he received it and became Paul's disciple. Today, we know that God has preserved his word in Hebrew text, in the Masoretic text, the Greek text, the English Bible, the authorized version. We believe that God has preserved his word. Why? Because, well, he promises to preserve his words. Words, not just a concept, but the words of God. We believe that God has delivered his words to us. You say, well, Brian, I don't believe that. You don't have to believe it. That's what the Bible says. That's Bible doctrine. It's really not based on human subjection. It is settled in heaven. It is finished. It's done. We have the whole counsel of God. So if you don't have the word of God, uh, well, frankly, you don't have the word of God if you're waiting to find it in the original manuscript because you don't have an original manuscript. God puts us in a situation that we either have to believe by faith that he has given us his word. Or you, 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 every, oh, it's, it's inspired in the original manuscripts. You don't have an original manuscript. You've only got what you've got, and that's what you've got. And I'll talk more about this. I want to lay that out. Those are precepts. Right? These, are, these are necessary precepts to understand. We understand the preservation is a process okay, of purification, but God is well able to do that, and the evidence will be found in the testimony of the Word of God itself. Now, I'm only speaking to English-speaking people. right? I don't speak uh, Chichewa. I don't speak Nepali. I don't speak Hindi. I don't speak Aria. I don't speak Spanish very well. I don't speak, uh, I don't speak all these other But I'm just talking about the evidence that I find in this 400-year-old copy of the word of god purified seven times at great expense with the sprinkled with the blood of the martyrs so i'd love to take more time on this topic actually that's really not the point of what i'm here to talk about i just need to lay that as a precept okay there's more that we could talk about there and we should maybe at another night another time another conference we'll plumb uh, the depths of, of that, and I think there's so much more I need and would like to say about it, but that's where I'm going to stop tonight. And I do hope that helps and aids with the next point. Because the mission of transmission, what are you transmitting if you're not transmitting the Word of God? It's necessary precepts for a faith-based view of, the, of Bible translation. If we're going to be in the business of of, of saying, God, we need a better word. I mean, we heard it this morning. Pastor Trotter is saying, look, uh, we're trying to rightly divide the word of God in, among the Chechewa-speaking peoples, the peoples of Malawi, and we, can't, we don't have a reliable translation. We're not even talking about a perfect word. We're just talking about a, something better than what they got. It, it's, just not a, it's just not there. God's the one who provides the word. He preserves his word. And God has went to work. It's the necessary precepts for a faith-based view of Bible translation are listed there. Now, let's talk about necessary patterns, though, because really to understand how God works in this regard, I think it's important, especially for churches like ours, that we believe, uh, we believe that God has preserved His Word. We understand that God rightly divides His Word. We're dispensational in our understanding of the Word of God, that God is dispensing His grace differently out over time, and we understand how to rightly divide that up because God has told us how to rightly divide His Word. Those are important things. Those are important precepts 
we understand that. And, and so, so there's some patterns that God gives us in the Word of God because we can't go outside of the Bible to find this, and you're not, you're not going to get the right answer if you do. So you've got to find it in the Word of God. It's helpful to see the necessary patterns related to how God transforms His inspired Word into preserved words like we're engaging in right now. As we've gotten involved in missions, the mission of God, as we've gotten involved in taking the gospel to the uttermost, obviously the mission is not just to preach evangelistically. It's really uh, discipleship, right? Making disciples that can plant churches, that can make more disciples, that can plant more churches and glorify God and build the kingdom of God. That's what we're about. So immediately you get engaged in teaching the word of God, and we're immediately... Uh, we're reliant. You know, we don't have the gift of tongues like they did in Acts too. So, so we're reliant upon the, the, the translation work. If I was in, in Brazil right now, my brother Alan here, he would be translating, he would know how to translate into Portuguese very well. Right? He would know what to say in that language. I don't know what to say. So the inspired word, the word that's being spoken has to be translated. And then if somebody were to write that down, you know, oh, well, man, there's got to be scribal errors, all that. You know, so, hey, listen, there's all kinds of room for error, isn't there? Did, it, did he say what I wanted you to say? Did the guy writing it down write down what he was supposed to say? Oop. Oh my goodness, we're in jeopardy. There's never, there's never a settled word. But the Bible says it's settled in heaven. So is it settled on earth? Well, I can't speak for every other language. I wouldn't dare do that. But I definitely, I believe it is in the English language. And so, so it's helpful to see that the necessity and the, the, the patterns related to this in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament's a picture book, and, they, and we always like to say a picture's worth more than a thousand words, right? Isn't that true? Me and my wife, we need to learn that. I, we tried, I try to describe things. This happens all the time. We just did another remodel in our house. We did the bathroom remodel. So when we first got married, it was, Amy, can you run and get me a tape measure? We're newlyweds in an apartment, and I didn't have my dad. I was raiding my dad's, you know. T- toolbox now i'm on my own I, I don't have a tape measure i got sockets but i don't have a tape measure can you run down and grab me a tape measure so i can keep working you know what she comes back with how long do you need it oh 25 foot she comes back they didn't they only had 10 foot i said well 10 foot will do and she rolls out a couple of these uh like what do you, seamstress tapes you know <laughs> i'm like what is that she says that's a tape measure i'm like i should have took a picture all right so we just had some more of those funnies uh, just recently, so, but I don't remember them all, fortunately. So anyway, uh, they've already gone away. The picture's worth a thousand words, isn't it? It's easy to get, get some things crossways, and if we start leaning on our own understanding, it's not a very wise thing, right? The Bible tells us don't lean on your own understanding. We're to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. So let's, let's go to the picture book in the Old Testament, two verses that I've Put on the screen, Romans 15, 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. There's a New Testament admonition from the Apostle Paul, right? And he tells us to do this very thing. He says, he says, Whatsoever things were written afore time were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. Beloved, if there's a time to have hope, a time that we need hope, this is it. This is the time we need some hope. Where are we going to get that hope? We're going to get it from the scriptures. He says, you know what? The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things happened unto them, them as Israel, 
for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. He's saying, you know, wherever the message goes and whatever time it is, these things were written for, your, for our admonition. These are things we can learn from. We can learn from others' mistakes. We can learn from the Old Testament. We can learn from the pictures there. I had older sisters. Man, I learned so much from them what not to do. Like, man, I, note to self, I'm not doing that. Or, yeah, note to self, I will do that. Okay, Carrie and Christine, you guys did good stuff too. But anyway, you want to learn from those things because not everything went down very well in the Old Testament with Israel. And so we can learn from their mistakes. We can also learn from the things that went right. There are examples and in samples, it says in 1 Corinthians 10. So to understand the necessary precepts, it's very helpful to study the necessary patterns in the Old Testament. So I'm going to start with one pattern. I think the, the one that really rocked my world personally many years ago, just this is something I dug out of my personal Bible study, uh, was, was the pattern of Moses. And this is in regard to the mission of transmission. So we see the process that God uses to preserve his word in the way he gives it to and through Moses. So in Exodus chapter 24, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to put them on the screen, but you might want to just keep a thumb there in Exodus, and then I'm going to take you to Jeremiah and a few other pa- uh, passages as we roll along through here tonight. And I've got to get you done because you've got to get to work. All right. I don't mean tomorrow. I mean tonight. All right. So the pattern, the pattern that we see here of Moses, we see that in Exodus 24 uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God comes to Moses and he says unto Moses, Come unto, unto the Lord, uh, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses, verse 3, came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. That was a lie. Verse 4, Moses wrote, Moses wrote, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill, uh, <clears throat> under the hill. I'm sorry, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And so they make a covenant with God here. They, Moses speaks the word. They agree to the word. Moses writes the words like a contract. You ever make a deal with somebody? Yeah, I'll buy that house. Here, sign the contract. Right. The verbal agreement becomes a written agreement. Now this is interesting because because in this passage in Exodus, you see you see the phrase. Uh, all the words of the Lord uh, mentioned several times in the Bible. But this is the, this is the first time you see it in, regard, in reference to all the words of the Lord were written or wrote, as it says in verse 4. Moses wrote. In verse 3, he told the people all the words of the Lord. But the first time, which is the third mention in the Bible, in verse 4, you see he wrote all the words of the Lord. So he spoke it. The inspired word of God, and then he wrote it, and God recorded it. So the first time we see this written form of God's word in the Bible is here. So the phrase is mentioned eight times in the Old Testament, and this is the third mention. So most of the other mentions were referring to literally speaking the words of the Lord, all the words of the Lord. So the inspired word or the inspirited words that were spoken by God are now recorded in writing or a word that you won't find in the dictionary, inscripturated, as we use around HBF. They were put into scripture. And so then, uh, we see that God gave his law to Moses in a book, 
and had Moses dedicate it with blood. You say, well, where did he do that? We'll keep reading in the text. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrifices and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant because they just made a covenant with God, both, both verbally and now in written form. And read, he read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. These words are written now. It's not just a verbal agreement, it's a written agreement. Just like that mortgage you sign, right? You, you, are, you are now on the line for what the words of God say. Now, that's a little scary, of course, when you're on the line. But on the other hand, that's what your soul's hanging on today. When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're saved by the words of God, not just the words that somebody told you, not just some preacher's rendition, but it is the words of God that we are clutching. When you get to heaven and they say, sorry, you're not saved, you can't come in, I'm going to pull out my King James Bible and say, I beg to disagree. I've got a written contract right here. And it's, and it's, and it's sealed in the blood. And so Moses dedicated it with blood, the book of the covenant. So Exodus chapter 31, flip over a couple pages in verse 18. Exodus 31, 18. And again, I've got to keep making some time here. Exodus 31, 18. The Bible tells us here uh, that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, written with the finger of God. I think we've all seen Charlton Heston in the whole rendition there, so we get that. But I want you to see down in verse 18, it says, at the end of the chapter, it says, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the what? Finger of God. Man, that is what you call an original autograph. <laughs> I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, God's like, here you go. You know, you see it in, on the, when Charlton Heston did that thing. You know, it was like some guys had a torch back there, and he's, you know, blowing some. No, no, it, it would have been awesome to see all this thing come down in real life. It's much better than, than the movie, I'm sure. But God has given the word of God. The finger of God is used. The original copy of the Ten Commandments was inscripturated in stone. I mean, it was a memorial of the law, right? It, conci- it concisely took the 600-plus commandments and boiled them down to ten precepts that you can operate by, and then given to Moses by the... I mean, God literally wrote it down. There's no question the original autograph was perfect, right? I mean, when you say the finger of God wrote it, there is no error. But you know the story, don't you? You know what happened. Moses is a hot-tempered dude, and God says, Hey, Moses, uh, we're going to have to cut this short. These things are getting a little crazy. Getting a little cray-cray down there. At the mount, at the bottom of the mount. So we got to get we got to get down there and straighten things out. So Moses and Joshua, you know the story. They head on down. So Exodus thirty-two verse nineteen, and it came to to pass as soon as as he came nigh into the camp and saw the calf, oh, and the dancing. He is a Baptist, and Moses Moses's anger waxed hot and cast the tables out of his hand, the original autograph, and he broke them beneath the mount. Whoa. 
He just took the original copy of God's word and just crushed it. You just lost your original. It's gone. But God, you know what God does? You know what God does because you're a Bible believer. You believe in the mission of transmission. You believe in God Almighty. You know what God does. He says, hey, my words are settled in heaven. My word's settled. No problem. Exodus 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 1, Hew thee two tables of stone, because I'm not going to do it for you this time, pal. Like unto the first. That was me. That wasn't inspired at all. That was just me talking in between the words there. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest, Moses. I added Moses too. (laughs) Sam knows what I'm talking about. El does too. It's like, uh, hey, that's on you, Moses. And be ready in the morning to come up in the morning on the Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man, same thing that was going on earlier, be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor the herds feed before that mount. And we see that in verse 4, he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into the mount, into mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. All right. Now God said in verse 1, I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables. He says, I you, you hew out the tables, I'm going to write on those tables. That's what it says. I will write upon these tables. I'm going to do it. Now look down in verse 27. We're going to fast forward the tape here. Now did God, did he change his mind? I don't know. It says in verse 27, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words. After the tenor of these words have I made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the, here it is, the tables, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Wait a minute, I thought God said I will write upon the, well how did that happen? How, how did, if, if God said I'm going to write it but Moses wrote it, is God a liar? No, he's not a liar. Yeah, he, he handled he handled the hand of Moses, didn't he? God took care of the transmission of his word. The original manuscript was lost. And God said, I'll tell you what. Now, Moses, you go and hew a couple of stones, and I'm going to write it. But as the story unfolds, guess what we see actually writing it? Moses is writing it. But God is working through Moses, isn't he? The original copy of the Ten Commandments, the original copy of this prophecy given to Israel through the inspiration of God was, well, it was lost. And Moses, we see in this process of verbal inspiration of God's word, divine inscripturation of God's word, and preservation through the use of human instrumentation, is able to give them a preserved copy, not only the Ten Commandments, but then he has a book. Woo! God's given him the word. Written by God through his hands on Sinai. All right, you guys get the picture. 
You see the picture? Maybe not. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Another one, this is the one I first learned of. I can't take any credit for digging that one up. But you'll find these little pictures throughout the Word of God, and you'll go, whoa, God, that's, that's you showing us something about how you use human instrumentation to deliver a perfect word. Now, I would never, if I was a translator, I'd never think I delivered a perfect word. The King James gang didn't think they delivered a perfect word. That's a little, that's audacious. <laughs> God's the one who does it, and he proves it over time. So the pattern, the next pattern is the pattern of Jeremiah. I'm going to be going to skip over this one as well. Jeremiah 36, 4. I, I love this. It's a great story. I wish I had more time to work this, but Jeremiah 36 and verse 4, the, the, the backdrop here is uh, the, the wicked king, Jehoiakim, hard-hearted king, but God in his grace and mercy is willing to try to deposit the word of God in that rocky soil. And so he calls on Jeremiah the prophet, and he says, I need a word. And so Jeremiah the prophet speaks, and Baruch, the, the, the scribe, writes it down. Jeremiah didn't write one word. He's, he's in bondage, as a matter of fact. And so it says, And it came to pass in Jeremiah 36, 1, In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this, this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Boy, what a, how quick do things decline from Josiah to Jehoiakim. Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein in the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. You see the heart of God there, don't you? That's a true heart. That's a loving heart, isn't it, man? Would you tell them that my judgment's coming so that they will repent and receive, so I can heal them? Would you, would you love them enough to speak the truth to them? Let them know they're sinners and that they're in need of a Savior, and I'm their Savior. They've left me. Verse 4. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. I think most of us are familiar, maybe, maybe you're not familiar with this passage, but we understand that he wrote upon a roll of a book all the words, the words of the Lord. And the original copy of this prophecy given to, to Judah through Jeremiah, just like the original copy of the Ten Commandments, is destroyed. And for time's sake, I'm going to fast forward to the same chapter, verse 23. And it, and it came to pass, now just to kind of preface this, uh, this, this was an incredible word of the Lord, and, and it was read. And you can read it, you know, go home and read the text later. It was read before the scribes, and they're like, whoa. They're like, man, this is heavy. They're in fear. They believe it. And so they finally bring it to the, to the king. And uh, it, says, it says in verse 21, So king sent uh, Jehudiah to fetch the roll, and, uh, uh, and, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudiah read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudiah had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire. It was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. And so once again, we see the original. 
it's gone. You want the original copy of that? You ain't going to find it. It's missing. And once again, though, God, he's not deterred at all. God is not concerned with losing the original copies. He goes ahead and downloads the prophecy again and adds more revelation based on the people's rejection of his first word. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus came to his own and his own received it not. They wouldn't receive the, the Old Testament, so he writes a, a New Testament. And at the end, he just punctuated, punctuates it with more revelation about how he's going to fulfill what he already said in the Old Testament. And so that's what God does. Again, a picture here in the Old Testament. In, in Jeremiah chapter 36, in verse 32 there, we see that Jeremiah took another role and he gave it unto Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that he had burned in the fire. And there was added besides unto them many like words. <laughs> So he gives him everything he had, and he says, and by the way, I'm going to add a few more things because I'm God, and it's all settled. So God illustrates his ability both to preserve his words and fulfill prophecy by commanding Jeremiah to take the original autograph. Ultimately, at the end of the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 51 and verse 63, check this out. Just in case you're looking for the original autograph of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 63. I'll just back it up to verse 61. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, uh, uh, shouldn't have backed up, Sariah, when thou comest to Babylon and shalt see and shalt read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be that when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Let me ask you, friends. If that's where the words of Jeremiah are, then why do I got them right here in my authorized version? I'll tell you why. Because God has preserved his words. Okay, I can tell I got an amen choir. Praise God. So in the case of the book of Jeremiah, you've got to have a faith-based view of the scripture. Because the word of God itself tells you what happened to the original. You have to believe that God worked to, to preserve that text and copy it and get it to you today in your English Bible. That's the only option God will give you in his word. Okay, so we know Psalm chapter 12 and verse 7 says, Thou shalt keep them. What? The words, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So what about the next pattern, which is that of the apostles? You say, yeah, but Brian, in the New Testament, right? The, the apostles went out and they preached. After the resurrection, God gave the apostles charge to go ye therefore and teach all nations. And God chose to preserve the word or teach, make disciples, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? That's what we do is teach. We, we take the word of God and we, we make disciples of all nations. The practical accomplishment of the Great Commission has always necessitated translation. As I mentioned earlier, the very first thing the Holy Ghost did 
uh, through the apostles was disseminate the inspired preaching of the apostles in other languages so that they could understand what was being said in their heart language because God wanted to get the word to the world. In Acts 2.8, How heard every man in our tongue wherein we were born. See, getting the gospel to those gathered for Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 in the tongue that was uh, in their heart as they gathered was a priority, not for the apostles. It was a priority for God. He wanted them to understand what he was saying clearly in their heart language. And I'm certain most, if not all, spoke Hebrew, probably Aramaic, and some spoke Greek. But God chose to deliver the gospel in the heart language of the people. So translation leading to inscripturation has been a natural process of preaching the gospel since the the days of Pentecost, all the way back to Moses. He gets the word, he speaks the word, he writes the word, he preaches the word, and they all believe the word, and it's sealed with the blood. It's a covenant. Translation is important to the ministry of God and the mission of God. And it's been on my heart for quite some time. So I, I, there's, there's statistics I could show. I'm not going to do those tonight. We can talk about all the unreached people groups. But, you know, regardless of how you cut the, the pie, there's people that need to get the word of God in their heart language, and they don't have it. Whether it's not been translated yet or it's been translated and they've got a corrupt copy, whatever the case may be, the work goes on as God, through his spirit, works through the church of God to get the gospel where it needs to go on time, just like he did in the first century, but just a little differently. So Greek, Italic, Goth, Saxon, High German, Old English, Latin, many other languages over the past 2,000 years have seen portions of the entire, or the entire New Testament translated into those languages. Of course, we have the Masoretic text that preserved the Old Testament. The, the vast majority of languages spoken for the past 2,000 years, you know what? They don't even have an alphabet. How about that? You start talking about the mission of transmission, you know how hard it is to, to write something down if you don't have an alphabet? Pretty tough, isn't it? You know what translators got to do oftentimes? They go into places and they create an alphabet. Phonetically, they figure out the language, all the different tonal sounds. and It's an incredible thing. It's way above my pay grade. But you know what I'm, paying, I'm praying for? I'm praying that God would take people among our, among our ranks. People who actually believe that God can preserve his word. You've got to believe that God is, is, is true, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to believe God's word. We've got people out, that, out here translating the word of God that don't even know where the word of God is. And I'm like, man, Lord, the people that ought to be involved in getting the word there are people who actually believe they've got the word. The work of translating the Bible into known languages was an it's an audacious i mean an arduous task before the advent of the gutenberg press can you imagine everything had to be written precisely the fact that god has given us a, a written word is amazing we take it for granted we can dial it up on our phone we can dial it up that tells you how old i am we can pull it up on our phone we can uh, we can we can man we can do all this stuff today with technology but just a few hundred years ago you weren't going to find a printed copy of the Word of God in any language. It was all handwritten. Think about that. It's amazing. The work of translation includes developing these, these languages. And you think, man, that's awful hard. You know what's hard is doing all that work by hand. The access to education 
today is, man, it's incredible. You know, just when, the, when our brothers years ago, Bearing Precious Seed and all those guys that started that in the, in, the, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and when all that transpired, I went back and dug those, those numbers up. And do you know the world was not even close to being as literate then as it is today? It didn't do you any good to jump up and down about translation. A lot of people couldn't even read if they had a language that was in, in written form. But a lot of work has been done. God has done a lot of work. And we've got to be wise to that and realize, man, time is short. We've got to get after it while we have time. I don't, by the way, espouse the fact that if we don't do our job, Jesus you know, isn't going to come back or all of that. No, no, we'll just fail is what's going to happen. We'll just fail. So we just need to do our job. And do everything we can while we can. You know what's interesting as well? In some of the most developed countries of the world, while underdeveloped countries, I'm praying for Malawi, because it's not going to do us any good to bring Chichewa Bibles to Malawi if people can't read Chichewa. Right? So literacy is a big deal in Malawi, I'm sure. And several places in Africa, still. But in the United States, you know, what, you know what's going to happen? And this is the truth. You can check me out on this. Literacy is going to go up. In Africa, it's going up in Africa. The world's more literate today than it's ever been worldwide, statistically. I think the stat's like up to 90%. But in the United States, guess what? Literacy is going down. I got the stats on that too. We're beating ourselves on We got the word of God! But we're getting more illiterate. All right. I got to get, get, get moving here. So... Let me just cut to the chase. There's a lot I want to say about that, but I'm just going to leave it at that. So the mission of transmission, it's necessary. There's necessary precepts for a faith-based view of Bible translation. There's necessary patterns to understand the faith-based Bible translation is important and it's necessary. We've got to understand that we are part of the process like, well, who am I? Well, I, I, I'm sure that's how Baruch felt. Baruch just did his job. He just did what he was told, and God did the rest, right? Who is Moses? Moses is the servant of God. That's who Moses is, and God used him. Who are you? You are a child of the living God, and he wants you to put your fingerprints on Bibles and get him to, get him to Malawi. He wants us to be a part of the process. Praise God for um, uh, the Trinitarian Bible Society that did the work to, to translate this. Uh, the, 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 it'll be the... The Chichewa-speaking peoples that really weigh in on is this a good translation or not. It'll be the Spirit of God working in the Church of God among the Chichewa-speaking peoples in Malawi and Zambia and uh, around that region. And we will see the fruit as it's deposited in the soil of the heart. Man, it's a beautiful thing to, to realize and to, to understand that God is working in a supernatural way through the, the, the spoken word. Pastor Trotter, he's preaching the word. He can't even get the, this book into their... There's, it's not available to them in their language. So he has to speak the word and, and men have to translate it to get the concepts across until God gives them a written word that becomes the standard for Chichewa speaking peoples. That's divine stuff, beloved. That's not us forcing our hand. That's us just saying, God, you do what you do, and and we'll just do what you tell us to do. And tonight what God's telling us to do is put Bibles together and send them to Malawi. And that's the last point. We need It's necessary people. Whoa. We of all people ought to be involved in the mission of transmission. We should be preaching and teaching and translating and printing and assembling and shipping and delivering God's inspired and preserved word to the people of God 
for his glory through all, throughout the world. If we do not appreciate the blood spilled to give us our Bible, we will not be willing to spill our blood for anybody else. Did you miss the blood part back there in the Old Testament? Did you miss the New Testament? What's it say in Hebrews? This book sprinkled the covenant with blood, the blood of the New Testament. The Old Testament was dedicated by the shedding of blood of bulls and goats. The New Testament was dedicated and put in force through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it just so happens that those that believe that gospel, those that gave their lives for that gospel, ended up in the English language giving us a a preserved word that we can be absolutely assured of so that we can go forth and preach the word of God all over the world. And you watch if you believe this book and you do what you're supposed to do, God will open doors that nobody can shut. And it doesn't matter what time it is because God loves the world and he wants to get the word to the, the soil of the heart. And he'll even use a bunch of illiterate Americans to get it there. So in the time we've got remaining, let me leave you with a few practical points and we'll be done. This is what I, this is what I got to do. This is what you got to do. This is what we got to do to get this done. First of all, God needs faithful saints who will learn obediently. You guys know the story of, uh, of Judges, right? You know that there was, no king, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. But a man named Samuel, a boy named Samuel, says in 1 Samuel 3.19, He grew, and the Lord was with him, and didn't let none of his words fall to the ground. You know what that means? Is he, the word of God in 1 Samuel 3.1, it says, The word of the Lord was precious in those days. Not just that it was precious and valuable, though it was precious and valuable, it was also hard to find. There's going to be a day, it's going to be hard to, it's going to, be hard to get a hold of the book if things keep going like they are. You're going to have to come to some old Baptist church to get a hold of the Bible. Because we turned all the sword making over to the Philistines. If we desire to be involved in the transmission of God's word, we must start by obeying it. And that's where it begins. You know what made Samuel rock was the fact that the dude obeyed the word of God. In the, and he, there, he was a victor in the midst of victimhood. I mean, he had Eli as a bad example. He had Hophni and Phinehas as a bad example. There was nothing about the worship that was going on there in the temple, in the tabernacle, that was conducive to giving him a good example. Yet, God, through, through the grace of God, through the godly mother Hannah that he had, man, brought him up in a way that changed the nation and eventually would bring the king that they needed that would typify Christ. You know, Eli violated Exodus 27, 20 and allowed the light of the tabernacle to go out. It was always burned. And God informed Eli in chapter 2 that, of Judges that he, he placed his, uh, that he, he placed his family in a bad situation because he had robbed God of his glory and now you're done and your family's done and your seed is done. You're done. Because you wouldn't offer the right offerings to the Lord. He was like Laodicea and he continues thinking he is rich and increased with goods. He was getting fat. But he was really wretched, literally, literally blind. And ultimately became a very poor man because he lost everything. Eli allowed the candle to go out in the tabernacle, probably for some pragmatic reason. You know, the folks don't give at the tabernacle like they used to. We've got to conserve energy. We can't beat down that olive oil like we used to, man. I'm getting old. Hophni and Phinehas won't listen to me anymore. 
Whatever his reasons were, Eli nor his sons were examples to Saul or to Samuel. And Samuel did not allow that environment to victimize him. He could have had all kinds of excuses for being a victim, but instead he chose to obey the voice of God and minister before the Lord, even when those around him did not. So God revealed himself to Samuel because he learned to obey. God could trust him with what? His word. Oh, is it scary for that little guy? When God downs, first he's like, who's calling? And Eli's like, that's the Lord, man. You better go listen. I'll tell you, okay, Lord, here I'm, you know, here am I. He hears, the, he hears the vision. He hears the, the judgment on Eli. So be it. And man, Eli's like, what did he say? What did he say? And Samuel's like, oh, I hate to tell you this, but all right. And he busted out. Guess what? God could trust that little dude with the word of the Lord because he obeyed. You know why God's trusting us with opportunities? Is because he knows we want to obey. We, we want to we honor his word. We want, to, we want to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. That's what we want to do. God, help. We know it's way bigger than us. But we want God's help to do it. Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no, more, no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will forget thy children. You know, that was said to Hosea, in Hosea long, long, long after Eli. But you know what? It, could, it was almost exactly what God had already told Eli many centuries prior. You know, you, re, you reject God's word, it's going to have implications. You keep God's word, and there's going to be blessings. This prophecy was an incredible prophecy. HBF and all of the sister churches gathered, all of our partners, listen. This is a unique opportunity that God is giving us. And we don't want to blow it. We want to be faithful. We want to obey God. Samuel would, would go on to be the prophet who anointed David, as you know. And if we love God, we keep his commandments and we honor his word. And, and God will continue to reveal to us the steps that he needs us to take. But you know, if we don't honor God's word, we'll go blind. Just like Laodicea. The next thing is faithful saints listen in, uh, intently. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We know John chapter 10 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and, I, and they, will, and they uh, follow me. If you want to be involved in the transmission of God's word, you must be swift to hear God's word. You've got to be willing to listen to what God says. You've got to train your ear to know what God is saying. We live in an age when saints struggle to hear God because we're accustomed to listening. We're not accustomed, I'm sorry, to listening to his voice. When the shepherd speaks, the sheep know his voice. Our churches are being filled with people that don't even know the Lord. Revelation 3.20, it's no wonder there's a hearing problem, not just a vision problem. When he stands at the door and knock, nobody's answering. Why? Because they can't hear him. Baruch, Jeremiah's scribe, listened intently as Jeremiah spoke God's word. He was listening to every word so he could get it down. By God's grace, there are some under the sound of my voice that are gifted at hearing 
and even the nuances of tones and gifted in languages. There are some of you that God wants to use to, to literally listen to the Word of God, to listen to other people speak, and to understand languages so that you could actually take the Word of God, understand other languages, and translate the Word of God into other languages. Maybe you're here, maybe you're not, maybe you're in the atmosphere, but man, I pray that God would bring those people because faithful saints record precisely. Matthew 5.18 says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Just like Moses, Jeremiah. Man, those guys had the word exactly as they heard it from the Lord. They were not interested in dynamic equivalents. They wanted to have the words of God. Jesus is the one pointing out that he is so precise that even the punctuation is inspired and preserved. And all you have to do is look at Isaiah 9-6 to see that, right? For unto us a child is born, comma, incarnation. Unto us a son is given, earthly ministry of Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. 2,000 years goes by, the millennial reign of Christ at that colon. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, if God's concerned about punctuation, then we ought to be as well. From the Levitical priests to the Masoretics, who, who, steward the, the, who stewarded the Hebrew text to the received text, it's only been the past 120 years that the precision of the word of God has been questioned by scholarship. Well, I shouldn't say that. It goes really back to the Greek era, but in modern times. And the advent of the corrupt Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus are two texts which should have been left in the garbage can, but they're not. And they become an excuse for those who want to modify God's word to edit it edit out the deity of Christ, and put themselves in authority over the word of God. Ready, scribes, understand God preserves his words, not just his concepts. That's why 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in the faith and love in Christ Jesus. Luke 21.33 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, plural, shall not pass away. We can't be quick to just dismiss the, the, the jods and the tittles. We can't be quick to dismiss the words of God. We've got to be precise when it comes to this business of translating the word of God. A Bible-believing saint will, will judge all experiences by the precise, preserved, and absolute standard of the word of God. And that's why Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, be a good listener, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And lastly, faith, faithful saints, they, well, they distribute liberally the word of God. This brings us full circle because we can, we can say that we love God, but we don't love God unless we keep his commandment. And he tells us to go you therefore and teach all nations. And that's what we're doing here this week. Because translation is not just about Bibles. It's about souls. Souls getting saved and being translated into the kingdom of our dear God. It's all about seeing souls delivered from this world and brought into a relationship with God that literally transforms us physically, spiritually from the inside out. And so as we conclude tonight, I pray that you are encouraged in the word of God, that you are ready for the mission of transmission, that you have the necessary precepts, the necessary patterns, and that you are the necessary people to get this thing done. So pray with me for this, this machine back here. But more important than that machine is you all people. So let's stand together and let's get ready to go to work. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. And you have given us a word of reconciliation. You have given us the words of God, Lord. And, 
And man, we, we have these necessary patterns. We have these necessary precepts. We have these necessary uh, people that are here, Lord, to accomplish your mission, your power for your glory. And we are so thankful that you have preserved your word in our language. But Lord, there are people that don't have anything in theirs. Or there are people that don't have an alphabet. There are people that haven't even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Heavenly Father, before we break our arm, patting ourselves on the back, Lord, help us to remember why you've put us here. As we grow increasingly illiterate as a people, Lord, I pray, God, that we would remember that we have the most incredible book and the most incredible language of contemporary times, Lord, and you have given us the assurance of the word of God. Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful stewards of it, that we wouldn't let it fall to the ground, that we would be like Samuel and not only and not only uh, adore it, Lord, but we would just obey it with our lives, Lord, that we would be serious about accomplishing the mission of God and the power of God for your glory, Lord, not our own. And Lord, we would trust you to get the word of God where it needs to go on time. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.